Mighty God, we praise and thank you that you speak to us and you tell us about who Jesus is. We pray that as we open Mark's gospel again this morning, that you'd speak clearly to us, to our hearts, to our minds, to our wills, so that we would see how wonderful Jesus is and how great it is to follow him and to love him and to see him as that same God, that same God of all power and all authority and all love in the New and in the Old Testament. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been blessed uh, uh, over the last few while. Uh, we've had the opportunity to, to head off just a nip a couple of days here and there uh, as uh, we celebrated, Lisa and I celebrated 25 years, so the first time when I met her, uh, not when I'm 22 years married. Uh, and also uh, we took a bit of time out um, just this week really to, to kind of to celebrate and to, and to, and to give thanks to God um, for my mum's my, my mom's, um, life as well. Uh, and um, when we went away last time, um, we were a few days, and my, one of my children, she, um, so guess who it is, uh, she doesn't like us being away all too often. And so she FaceTimed us. She just got home from school. She, she wanted to touch base. She wanted to see how we were, mum and dad. But then, to Tama's absolute terror, the doorbell rang. And we've always taught Tama, so don't ever think she's being rude. We have taught her, uh, and we've taught the youngest kids, when the doorbell rings, and mum and dad aren't there, just let it ring. Just let it ring. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. You can phone me, or I can phone you. We'll, we'll get you. Don't worry. Okay? But what made it even more terrifying was Tama heard a key going in the door. And so she went, and she hid. She was absolutely terrified. And, and so what would you do? Do you scream? Do you hide? Do you lash out? Do you sort of get the, the broom from behind the door and get ready for that person to come through and then wallop them when they come through? What do you do? Well, it all depends who's coming through the door, isn't it? It all depends who it is coming into your home. Do you know them or not? Are they friend or foe? Would they protect you? Would they harm you? Now, just to let you stop panicking about, it was Thomas, Granny and Granda. So it was all good. They were coming to babysit the kids. Well, in our bit of Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 6, now on page 1009, if you want to open it, Jesus' disciples have an absolutely terrifying encounter in the early hours of the morning. Not always the best time to have one of those frights. The issue for them was exactly the same. Who was it that was heading towards them? Was it for their good or was it for their bad? So let's look at this and we're beginning to look from verse 45. And as we saw last week, the miracle of Jesus walking on the water comes after the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And last week we were thinking about how both of these miracles were totally unnecessary. They're totally unnecessary, really. Because Jesus has already shown his power over the waves, over the water, hasn't he? In Mark chapter 4, he's already done that, hasn't he? And we've already said that in verse 36 of Mark 6, the problem of feeding the 5,000 could have been solved very easily as the disciples turned around to those 5,000 and said, clear way off. Go away. Go off to the other villages around. Get your food there. There's an Asda. There's a Tesco. There's a Sambri's. There's probably a legal there as well. But we actually said, no, 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 no. 
This is really, really important in Mark's gospel. And these miracles are here to show us who Jesus is. And they see how they name together in verse 52? We're, we're, we're told there that there's a, Jesus' disciples are astonished at his walking on the water. They're hard-hearted because they didn't understand the miracle of the loaves. And as we saw, the miracle of the loaves was a reminder of the Jews of the day of how God had provided for his people as he rescued them from Egypt. God had rescued them. Remember the story in Exodus? and We read in verse 16 how God tells Moses to put an example part of the manna into the jars to remind the people that they've been saved from, from captivity in, in, in Egypt. And God had redeemed them. He had rescued them. God had rescued his people from Egypt. It's all there in the book of Exodus. And if you want to catch up from last week, you can listen to the sermon online. But today's section continues that link in Exodus. And this morning we're going to see three surprises in what's written here and, and what each of them tells us about Jesus. So let's look at the first one. Verse 47, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, not near the shore, and and he was alone on land. That's Jesus. He saw the disciples straight at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. I wonder, have you ever tried this on holiday? Have you ever tried somebody sort of bet you, can you walk on water? You know, and there you go tearing breaking all the rules of the, of the municipal swimming pool, you know, where they tell you don't run, but you come like a, a hare racing towards the water and, and maybe for a millisecond you get your first foot on the water because you're basically, it's just pure physics that you're heading in a single direction that, you know, your velocity's taking you on that water, but the second one nah, you're going down aren't you? And then before you know it, you're face planting because your speed's going so fast, your body's got caught by the water and you boom into the water straight away and you sink. Well, look, we work out, we work out that simply mass uh, and density and displacement. That's what it is. It's universally accepted that human beings, you and I, will never walk on water. And you'll find skeptics making out all these different clauses, get out clauses. Uh, The best that I've ever heard someone tell me is that Jesus was walking on the water in the middle of the lake because there was a sandbank. You know, if you're a Port Stewart Strand and you walk out a little bit, you kind of walk out and you're kind of going a bit lower, and then all of a sudden you start coming higher again. You're thinking, how does that work? There's a sandbank there. Well, look, these disciples were fishermen. They knew the Sea of Galilee with the back of their hands. They knew where the sandbanks were and where the sandbanks weren't. And Jesus was really walking on the water. They realized in the middle of the Sea of the Galilee, there ain't no sandbanks there. But the question is, why? Not how. Why did Jesus do this? It's one of the best known miracles. But why go to such lengths to cross the lake walking on the water? Surely he could have just hopped in a boat. Surely he could have made his way round like the other people, just walked round or ran round. Like in verse 33 of Mark's gospel, we see the crowds run round. It wasn't really even that the disciples' lives were in danger like 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 Mark chapter 4. Was this some kind of religious stunt? Was it showing off? Well, because of the feeding of the 5,000, 
We have to read these stories through the lens of the Exodus. That's what we looked at last week. The bread was the man in the desert. So Jesus is now walking through the sea without drowning. Does that ring any bells? If you're thinking of Exodus. Walking through the water. Walking through the Red Sea. That's what we're supposed to be getting here. That's what we're supposed to be seeing. And look, verse 48. Shortly before the dawn, shortly before the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. That's exactly the same time as the Israelites crossed over the Red Sea. And we're told the disciples have gone ahead of Jesus. Again, as you look at Exodus 14, we'll see that the people went ahead of the angel of the Lord through the Red Sea. If you get a chance, read Exodus 14 and 15, and you'll see those connections for yourself. So do we see that Jesus is reenacting history? And the question is, we need to ask is, where does Jesus fit in? And that question begins to be answered when we come to our next surprise in the passage. Think about it. Jesus is miraculously walking on the water. He's heading towards the disciples. What would we expect to happen when Jesus reaches the boat? Now, if you didn't know the story, what would you expect to happen? He would get in. Totally. Walking on the water, gets to the boat. He would get in. Totally. Now, what do you find at the end of verse 48? Have a little look at it. What does it say there? He was about to pass by them. He's about to pass by them. Obviously, it's there to get us thinking. And hopefully by now, we'll see that the first place we need to get to when we're trying to understand this passage is back to Exodus, which was why George read Exodus 34. So if you've got your Bibles, go to page 93. Page 93. And we read there, from verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stones, tablets, like the first ones, and I'll write them in the words that they were in the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning, then come up on the Mount Sinai, present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. Page 93 here, Exodus 34, I'm going to read from verse 3. No one is to come to you with you or be seen anywhere in the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chilled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. This is important now, the next two verses. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses. See that? He passed in front of Moses. Proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, so to anger, abounding in love and in faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. And while you've got your finger in Exodus 34, uh, look at back Exodus uh, 33 and verse 18. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. You get this? So the Lord God revealed himself and his glory to Moses by passing by. And now on the lake, Jesus is making it very clear to us 
that he is the one passing by. This is massive. This is huge. Jesus seems to be making the claim, I am. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. It is I, which is the third shocker. It is I. Look from verse 49. When they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately spoke to them. He said, take courage. It is I. Or another way of translating that is, take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. Well, here again is a huge confirmation that this is a miracle taking place. Because they're trying to rationalize, the disciples are trying to rationalize what's happening, and their only explanation of it fitting into their brain is, this is a ghost. They, they, they're not kind of stupid people. They've got a brain. They're trying to make sense of this all. And they say, the only rational explanation that we've got, some filter in our head, is that this has to be a ghost. The first 50, immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now we might have thought he's just saying, look, don't freak out lads, it's just me, you know me, relax. But there's more to Jesus trying to lower the blood pressure of these disciples. Because as I said, another way of saying it is I is I am. And I am is a very significant phrase in the Bible. It's the name by which God has revealed himself. The book of Exodus tells us about Yahweh. I am. We might know his name Jehovah, but there it is up on the screen. Yahweh read from right to left. Yah-ha-wah-ha. Ha. I am. It's the name by which God reveals himself to his people. And as we put all of that together, Jesus walking on the water, Jesus passing by, Jesus saying, it is I. It's meant to drive us to one conclusion. Jesus is the same God. He's the same one who saved the people out of the Exodus. And the big question that we need to be asking is, who is Jesus? And we've seen in the book of Exodus, God has shown himself to be the God who redeems, who saves, who frees his people from slavery, who brings them out of Egypt safely through the sea, who reveals himself by passing by Moses. And as he says, the Lord, the Lord, the I am, the I am, the compassionate and gracious God, so to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That description of God comes up again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. It's how we're meant to know God. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, it is I, he's making the claim that he is, I am. Jesus is nothing less than the redeeming Lord God himself. I hope you see that. But if not, you might ask, 
Well, why does Jesus do all this? Why make it so complicated? Well, it might be easier if each one of us knew the Bible. But why, we might ask, why does Jesus simply just say, guys, I'm God? Well, because doing that wouldn't really help us at all. See, if an atheist tells you that they don't believe in God, the next question you should always ask them is this. Well, which God don't you believe in? Because you might find your atheist friend or neighbor or colleague believes in something that's not biblical at all. Usually that's the truth. And you're able to say to them, well, I don't believe in that God either, actually. The God I believe in is the God of the Bible. That's a pile of nonsense. See, don't get me wrong here. Jesus is God, but often when people think of God, they think of someone all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing. And Jesus is like that, but he's so much more. Jesus is Yahweh. He's the great I am. He's the God who redeems. He's the God who saves. And he's in the business of bringing people out of slavery to the glorious freedom of knowing him. And yes, it does take effort to understand who Jesus is as he reveals himself to us. It does take us to use our brains. But it is so worth the effort. Because then we will get to know the true Jesus. The Jesus as he truly is. And even more that, we will discover that he's far greater than we ever imagined him to be. Because he is, I am. He is compassionate. He is authoritative. And he uses that authority, we've seen in Mark's gospel, he uses all that authority to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He uses that to save us from our sins. We didn't deserve it, but he has come to free people from sin and from all that enslaves them. As we saw last week, he satisfies. He satisfies. And it matters that we understand who Jesus is. And when we do, we can hear for ourselves the rest of verse 50. Please look at it. He said, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. When someone comes face to face with the power and authority and majesty of God, it is terrifying. When God reveals our sin to us and says, you will be judged, it is terrifying. These disciples could tell us when they saw Jesus walk on water and they realized who it was, they were terrified. What would God do with me if he came down and judged me? What would such a God do to me? Well, if he is the God who does not leave the guilty go unpunished, even the least self-aware person here would realize we'd better not hang around and find out too late. But for those who do know Jesus, they know they're meeting in him a redeeming, loving, compassionate Lord God. They know that he's going to use his authority. They know that there's not a vindictive God. No, he's a compassionate God, abounding in love and faithfulness. One who deals with forgiving sin. One who came to deliver his people from their enemies. From anything that held them in slavery. Jesus provides supremely through his death and resurrection. 
salvation. And he is the Lord who will provide abundantly for all that we need. And it's true in the storms of life that we face. As I said to you this morning, this day last year my mum died. And I have no greater confidence to know that Jesus is my redeeming Lord. That in him I'll meet my mum again. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. This morning, I wonder as we read those words again, from verse 50 and 51, as we hear of the authority of Jesus, as we see who he is, whether you know him as your comfort, as your strength, as your help, or as you're still living without that comfort. I pray this morning you would know the comfort of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you wouldn't fear, even in the storms of life. That you'd hear these words spoken personally this morning from the Lord Jesus. Take courage. It is I. Let us pray. Father, we love you and we praise you that you reveal Jesus to us. And you have shown him and he has shown us to be the Lord God who came to rescue his people from the slavery of sin. We pray that you would help us understand more and more of this redemption he came to bring. Thank you that we can take heart knowing that Jesus is stronger than anyone or anything else and that he will use his authority for the good of his people. Help us not to be afraid then as we head into this new week, but to trust him in every single situation. Help us to hear, take courage. It is I, I am Yahweh. Don't be afraid. Amen.